Good morning, church. Are you guys having a good time? It's, you take over service not so much fun. I know some of you are probably like, what is going on? Where are the pastors? Well, they're not here to, except Joseph. Joseph is the only pastor here, and we told him, we're running the show today. We're having fun. I'm so glad you guys are having fun. If you don't already know, my name is Kaylee, and I'm so excited to be preaching today with Justin. He's right over there. Um, and if you don't know, my husband, Corey, and I, also Joseph, uh, Joseph, <laughs> Justin and Shelby, Justin, his wife, and Shelby, we all serve as the youth pastors here at Connections Church. And man, never in a million years would I, th- I thought that I would be up here preaching the word. Um, little backstory about me, I grew up in a Christian home, and it was a great home. My parents were pastors, senior pastors, and youth pastors for many years. And growing up, I did not want that life for me. Like, I just didn't. I didn't even know if I wanted to be in ministry. I was just like, no, nope, I'm good. Um, I don't want to do it. And so when I met Corey, my husband, um, I knew he was deep into ministry. He was already deep in youth ministry. He was on the worship team, and I told him, I said, look, I want to marry you, but I'm just letting you know I will not be a youth pastor, and I will never be a youth pastor's wife. I don't want it. I'm not for it. I saw all the heartbreak that my parents went through in ministry, and don't ask me to do it. I will pout, and my arms will be crossed. I'm going to sit, and I'm not doing anything. And he, you know, he would just smile and nod and just say, okay, all right. You know, it didn't really fight me. And so after attending Connections Church with my soon-to-be husband at the time, um, I knew, I saw that fire in my husband's eyes that he had for church and that he had for ministry. And I saw that. And I was like, Lord, I just, I don't want to be that person that just comes to church. So I prayed and I was like, Lord, If ministry is for me, put that fire in my heart. Put that in me. Give me that desire. And slowly, God just poured that fire in me for ministry. I didn't know what at the time, but he just kept pouring and pouring. And I'm so thankful that I just gave in and I listened. And so today we're starting a new series called I Believe. And I'm so excited that I get the privilege to speak with Justin today, and that we get to start this series off. And so we sat down before this Sunday, and we talked about what is the goal of this message? What do not just I believe, but what do we believe as a church? And with it being you takeover service, we thought it was highly appropriate to talk about a specific topic that the world has influenced and invaded the church's beliefs and something that affects teenagers just as bad as adults. Because we're not just talking about teenagers today, we're talking about the whole church, so just get ready. That topic is sexuality. And I know most of you are like, ooh, sex. Why are we talking about sex? Well, get ready, because that's what we're talking about today. The world has literally confused the mess out of Christians. I mean, sex before marriage is slowly becoming okay. Because you got to test drive it before you buy it, right? Homosexuality, love is love. If you feel that way, you were born that way. It's, it's okay. Pornography. If you have needs and your spouse isn't doing it for you, just get it from someone else. Just get it for some, from something else. 
All these things are corrupting the minds of the church, not just non-Christians, the church, and they're slowly becoming okay. Serving in youth ministry, we see how hard it is to train children in the way they should go, especially in this crazy world, and especially when it comes to talking about sexuality. And some may think it's a bit inappropriate to, to bring up sex, because we're in church, but we think it's highly appropriate. Pastor Robert brought us, the sermon series brought us a f- four topics. The first one is sexuality, and me and Justin were like, that's what we're doing. I don't know what we're talking about yet, that's what we're doing. I know all of us in here can agree that it's necessary that children are to be trained in the Lord, right? Yeah? When you hear train them in the Lord in our daily lives, we think, okay, So we train them to pray before meals, we go to church on Sunday, and just read your Bible whenever you can, right? If you get the time. And it's not often we think about the uncomfortable subject of sex, sexuality. And so today is everyone's lucky day because that's what we're doing. We're going to be talking about a lot of uncomfortable stuff, so buckle up. This brings up a lot of accountability and responsibility to you as parents, but not just as parents, but to us as adults in the church. Because we can't just sit here and say, we want to train our children in the ways of the Lord, but we only talk about a few topics and we avoid all the awkward ones, right? Like I know my child has a sexual sin, but we just won't talk about that because I don't want to hear it, right? We avoid all the others. And just like training our children, all of us Christians have a huge responsibility to help train our brothers and sisters in in Christ in the ways of the Lord. And we also have a responsibility to hold others accountable, right? Right? Yeah. When sex is mentioned in the church, we instantly get uncomfortable. Like everything that could cringe is going to cringe like, ooh, ooh, sex. Why are we saying sex in church? Ooh, I don't want to talk about it. I'm cringing, right? It's easy to cringe instead of being bold and talking about issues that is really prominent in our lives, not just our kids' lives. It's prominent in each and every one of our lives. I'm the first one that's guilty, and I'm about to wrap myself out here, but we have a student that is so bold in the best way possible. Like this student does not care what others think about them. Like, and I I love it. Like, I wish everyone was like that. They just don't care. And one Wednesday night, they were sharing their testimony and everything they had been through in their past life. And they shared that they used to struggle with pornography and how God got them through. And believe me, that testimony was just phenomenal. But at that moment, my flesh cringed because I was like, oh, pornography. Why are we saying that at church? That's so awkward. And so as I was writing this, this part of the message, God instantly brought that situation up to my mind, just randomly. And he convicted the heck out of me, like convicted me. Why do we as Christians want to, to keep the hard and awkward sins not talked about and untouched? That student's testimony could have very well helped a student overcome their addiction to t- to pornography because that student was bold enough to to talk about their past addiction and what they went through. 
God keeps reminding me that one of the reasons why sexual issues are not handled properly in the church is because we shy away from talking about it at all. One mention of pornography, we don't talk about that. We think that it's inappropriate to bring sex to the table at church. So what do we do? We let the media, we let TV, we let our friends tell us how to handle sex and how to handle sexual sins. When we come to church, what do we do? Do we come to church with everything on the open? I'm going to talk to somebody, and I'm going to make an accountability partner, and I'm going to talk to them about my sexual sin, and I'm just all in the open. I'm going to go to the altar. Absolutely not. We come to church, and we have a habit of hiding all the stuff we struggle with, and we just come to church. Sexual sin is a private thing, right? Addictions to pornography, it stays behind closed doors, and it doesn't get brought out. Attraction to the same sex, sex before marriage, these things and others are never brought into the light of the day. The church isn't talking about these sexual sins, and so we aren't being taught how to handle them. And so when they finally break loose, by that point, it's at the point of no return, right? Because we're not open, and we get too uncomfortable to bring it up. So I want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. If everyone can go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. I'm going to read that in just a second. John chapter 8, verse 1. In a few minutes, Justin is going to come up and share some of the fundamental truths about sexuality. But my goal this morning is to look at how do we handle sexual sin with our kids and family and friends. And on hearing that question, I'm sure many of you have had not-so-fond memories flood your mind with a situation with your kids, right? Or you can instantly think of a person that you have been dying to confront about their lifestyle, but you just haven't. Or possibly a time you did confront someone, and they got mad, and it was just like a whole big mess. How we handle sexual sin is an important part to leading that person out of their sin and into the grace we find in Christ. What's so important about what we're going to read is this is going to show how Jesus handled someone with sexual sin. Did everyone get to John chapter 8? Yeah? It says, But Jesus went to the mountain of olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and starting to write, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. These verses teach us exactly how uh, Jesus handled someone with sexual sin. And I want to hit big three things that Jesus did here that we can learn from. Is number one, number one is he paused and he did not react harshly. It said in verse 6 that he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He didn't yell. He didn't stone her to death. We don't know what he wrote. He just bent down and wrote something. He did not react harshly. Number two is Jesus didn't condemn her. In verse 7 it said when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And Jesus has such an amazing heart and he never failed to show us that in everything that he did. Number three is Jesus gave her another chance. He said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And the way Jesus approached her and her sin was honestly phenomenal. Like we all should strive to approach like Jesus. Growing up, I remember my mom would ask me after a long day of work, make sure you do the dishes and you take the chicken out of the freezer. Do y'all remember your mom would tell you take the chicken out of the freezer? Right? Yeah. So after a long day at work, my unemployed 11-year-old self, lazy, forgot to take out the chicken out of the freezer sometimes. And y'all, she would come home and it was bad. I mean, a whole different person would come out of my mama. And I remember just looking at her thinking, girl, chill, we can go to McDonald's. It's just chicken. Acting like we got McDonald's money every night. Well, now as I'm a married woman with a life and things going on, if I come home after I ask for the chicken to be taken out of the freezer, that same person that came out of my mama is coming out of me. Am I right? Can I get an amen, women? Thank you. Like, y'all ever get so mad you become irrational? Fine, we just won't eat. We're just going to starve then. You know what? You're just going to starve the rest of the week because you didn't take the chicken out of the freezer. Y'all ever become so irrational y'all get mad? Seriously, though, like, how often is our approach? Like, look at, think of your approach. Like, how often have we approached our kids, our spouse, our, our Christian and our church family? How often have we approached them with anger and judgment and, and harshness? When have we stopped and thought, how can I approach this situation like Jesus does, no matter how south the conversation goes? And after reading how Jesus approached that woman caught in her own sin, it made me think, how is the church approaching each other with sexual sin? What are you doing if you find out your spouse is addicted to pornography? How are you acting when your child comes to you saying they have homosexual thoughts? What are we doing when we find out one of our students is having sex with their significant other before marriage? And I want you to reflect for just a second, how have you handled sexual, sexual sins with your kids? How have you handled it with a friend when they tell you certain things? When you know that certain coworker that you have been dying to reach, how do you handle a sexual sin when they come to you in confidence? 
Jesus did not see a, a condemned woman worthy of death according to the law. He saw a woman broken in her sin. He saw an opportunity to, to show grace and compassion, and he left her with the instruction to go and sin no more. When we become saved, the Bible tells us that, that we are transformed in both mind and body. That we no longer see with our earthly eyes, but we see with our spiritual eyes. How are, if, if we're going to lead a generation to Christ, it's not going to come through a meme for how strongly we stand against homosexuality. It's not going to come from ignoring a sexual sin that you find out that your kids are doing because it's just kids. I mean, they probably won't listen anyways. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. It's going to come through showing the right amount of compassion and grace while simultaneously followed with the truth of what God's word says about sexuality. Not what you think, not what we think, not what the world says, not what our family says. The world will tell you if you feel that way, just do it. If you want to have sex before marriage, just do it. You're going to marry them anyways. What does God say about sexuality? What does he command us to do? Does he command us to just be quiet when we find out someone is struggling with a sexual sin? No. We hold them accountable. If they don't want to be held accountable, we keep trying and trying and trying. There are a lot of students that did not like me at first. I don't care, and I didn't care. They like me now, but in the beginning, I just kept going. I kept pestering. I kept doing it, and finally, I broke in, right? There, you know, I broke in. God does not call us to be silent. God does not call us to be just stuck in our little bubble. What are we here for? Are we called to, to stay at home, be, be safe? We're going to stay in some bubble wrap. No, we're called to go out. We're called to preach his word. We're, we're called to talk about the uncomfortable things. We're called to talk about sex, pornography, homosexuality. We're called to talk about all of these sexual sins that are so uncomfortable. Because if we stay quiet... How, how is the next generation going to be able to know how to get over their sexual sin? I'm so excited to go ahead and invite Justin up here because I cannot wait to hear him share some fundamental truths about sexuality. Thank you so much, Kaylee. My iPad just asked me if I wanted to undo all of my notes, and I do not, so please don't do that. Or we're just going to have, we'll stand up here for a minute. <laughs> so um, thank you so much, Kaylee. Like she said, my name is Justin, in case you didn't know. I think most of you do, but in case you didn't. Um, if you could, I'm used to speaking in front of students, so to make me feel a little more comfortable, if you could maybe, like, give me a blank stare every once in a while. <laughs> you could, like, uh, check your phone, like, go to the bathroom, like, giggle with the guy. Like, uh, yeah. If you could do that for me, that would make me feel a little bit better. No, the students know I like the needle them a lot, um, just because the truth is every Wednesday I feel more and more old and more and more uncool. And so I have to bring them down a couple notches just so they don't get cocky. Um, like Kaylee said, we're going to dive into some of these uh, topics, and it's, 
it's really important what she was talking about as far as how do we handle sexual sin. It's, it's a huge component. And what I find awesome is, is Jesus has given us the perfect example for that, just like she said in, in uh, Scripture. I love how God doesn't just leave us to our own devices. He doesn't just give us a book and say, hey, here, here, follow this, you know, get with it, read it. He actually gives us an example to go by. Uh, Jesus, who, who came down in the flesh and had to fight urges, temptations, and all of those things. And so here's my goal over the next uh, 20 minutes or so. We're going to dive deep into some of these topics, three specifically that uh, Kaylee's already alluded to. Um, and what I don't want to happen is I don't want you to leave here feeling condemned, feeling washed up, feeling unimportant, feeling like you can't overcome what we're talking about. I want you to leave here uplifted. I want you to leave here ready to take hold of the freedom that God has actually called you Okay, so it's going to get a little bit uncomfortable. It just is. There's no way around it. But I think at the end of the day, we have to we have to make sure that we focus on God has something bigger for us. He doesn't want us to just sit here and feel uncomfortable. He wants us to be able to sit in a sermon like this and be like, I feel fine. I don't feel that awkwardness anymore because I've went through this. I've overcome it. If we're going to correct and help those around us get out of their sexual sin, we have to know the truth about sexuality found in God's word. So I want to take a few moments and let's see what those few things that we're going to go over today are. In the Bible, God is very clear about sexuality. There's some things in the Bible that are vague, some things that are hard to understand, uh, that you have to have a theologian look at and really examine, man, what is, what is he trying to say here? But sexuality is really not one of those things. From the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, all the way through to Revelation, sexuality is mentioned, what is good and right, and what is bad, and what is wrong for our lives. And so God doesn't really mince words when he's talking about sexuality. And so the first scripture I want to look at, and in this moment right now, I'm realizing that I did not give the nice gentleman in the back the slide they needed for the scripture. So you have to take my word on it. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, and we're reading out of the NIV this morning. It says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So his word says there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. I don't know about you guys, but a hint is not a lot. My wife has these me this measuring set, and I, to, up until like three months ago, I thought it was just tablespoons and teaspoons. I thought that was pretty much it. I, I thought I knew it all. And then I was looking for uh, something to measure with, and there was a little spoon in there, and it was called a hint. And I was like, <laughs> who knew? There's, there's an actual hint. I thought people, I was just like, hey, just throw a hint of garlic in there or whatever. And this amount was so small. I mean, it was so minute. I'm thinking there's no way anything in that little spoon is going to change the flavor of anything. There's no way. There's no way a hint is going to change anything. And so scripture is very clear that we shouldn't even have a hint, not even a small amount of sexual immorality in our lives. And this scripture is a stark reminder for us of how high of a bar God has set our sexual purity. Just how important it is for him that we follow his uh, guidelines, his law, however you want to look at it, for sexual purity in our lives. So I know you guys right now are like, geez, this is, 
this is getting heavy right out of the gate. Like, man, we, we can't even have a hint. Like, I'm, I know I'm struggling with some stuff, and I got a way more than a hint, you know. But I promise, just hanging with me here, it's, it's going to get better. It's going to be, be a lot easier to swallow as we get going. So getting back to Scripture, the interesting thing about entering into a relationship with God, at least for me, was this. I thought that I was going to get saved and that these sins that I had in my life, these things that were hard for me to overcome, I thought when I got saved, all those things would just be gone. Like I was going to one day just fully surrender my life and God was going to say, man, knock them out. Anybody in in here who has been saved knows that that is far from the truth. Even after we're saved, God is continually laying convictions on our hearts. So when I got saved, yeah, there was a few things in my life that instantly God just removed. And praise, praise God for that. That he instantly took from me urges, desires. But I got rid of those things. And then all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit that now resided in me was saying, you know what? We're, we're getting there, but let's go a little bit further. Oh, yeah, you, you got that one. That, that's really good. But let's go a little bit further. See, God is constantly working on us. He's constantly shaping and molding. And I love the, uh, the illustration that the Bible tells us about he's the potter and we're the clay. When you think about the potter, he doesn't just come in with the clay and just slap it on the little turntable thing. I'm sure there's a nicer word for that, but that's what we're going with this morning. He doesn't just slap it on the table that turns and say, wow, there you go. Man, look at that. It almost, if you squint, it kind of looks like something. No, what does the potter do? The potter, he takes his hands, he gets them wet, or she, no discrimination here. And, and they start to mold that, right? And they start to shape it. And sometimes it gets a little floppy and it falls over and it breaks. And then they pick up the pieces and they get them wet again. And then they stick it back on there and they mend it. And they eventually shape it into something beautiful, See, God sets the bar high, so we have to be dependent on him to shape and mold us into the man or the woman of God that he has called us to be. See, the second we have it figured out, the second that we think, oh, I got, I got this sin under control, I got this sexual sin under control, that's the time that we start to lose our gaze on God, and then we start to drift off into God knows where. We see it time and time in the Bible when, when God lifts up somebody. I mean, look at the judges, he lifts them up. And then they start to change the people and shape them. And then all of a sudden, they start to think, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm, I'm Samson, the mighty, right? And then what happens? They slowly start to fall away. So we're not supposed to have even a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. But what exactly is God referring to when he says sexual immorality? If we look at Leviticus chapter 18, it narrows this down for us, and I'm going to spare you reading the whole chapter 18 of Leviticus. I know you guys are like, crap, we're going all the way back to Leviticus. Now, that whole chapter really spells out uh, most of the sexual immorality that is brought up in the Bible, and it's, and it's incest, homosexuality, fornication, or that's a fancy word for sex outside of marriage, bestiality, prostitution. And then as we, as we get into Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says even sexual fantasies about these things is sexual sin. So no longer do you actually have to commit this sexual sin in the flesh, but you can commit it in your mind. And that's where I would start to place pornography. That's where I think that falls into. So from a societal standpoint, I feel like we have most of these things under control. 
I know incest and bestiality still exist, I'm sure. Seems like mostly in Florida for whatever weird reason. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Floridians, I love Florida. If you're from Florida, no judgment on you. You know, it's, it's a great state. I got a vacation plan in summer of 2022, and it's going to be awesome. But there is some crazy stories that come out of there. But <laughs> for the vast majority of us, this is not a problem. The series is meant to focus on some of the things that have become vague, some of the things that have started to creep their way into uh, the church's culture, into the Christian culture. So much so that it becomes harder and harder to tell the difference between someone that labels themselves as a Christian and the outside world. So I have three specific topics that I want to go over, and I'm already running short on time, so I'm going to try to go as fast as I possibly can. The first one is fornication. Fornication, like I said, is just a fancy word for sex outside of marriage, just in case you didn't know. In a study done by the Pew Research Center, 57% of Christians said it was always or sometimes acceptable for adults to have sex outside of marriage if they're in a committed relationship. Now, that number drops drastically when it talks about sex on the first date, but, mo but 57% of Christians said that it's always or sometimes acceptable to have sex outside of marriage if they're in a committed relationship. Now, help me if I miss something, but I don't think in the Bible it says, hey, you know, if, if, if you feel like it's a pretty well done deal, just go ahead and do it. If you think that, oh, yeah, you know what, COVID hit, they canceled our wedding, you know, the venue shut down. I mean, you know, we would have been married by now. That's not what it says, right? It says fornication is wrong. It's a sin. You could say, well, this is obviously these people that are saying this, this 57%. You could say that's just a matter of people not reading their Bible. They, they don't know the truth. And I would say some of that's the case. I would say some people don't know the truth. We definitely need to dive deeper into our word. But I would disagree with that for the most part. This affects the church in such a large way because it affects all of us. Like we pointed out, some sexual sins are easy to stay away from, right? Don't really have a problem with incest or bestiality. But this one right here affects everybody. It affects young. It affects old. It affects all of us. I wouldn't say this is a knowledge of God's word problem. I think this is a direct problem with our relationship and closeness to God. And let me explain. I love my wife, and I feel like we have a good relationship. And my students are like, oh, crap, here goes another reference about his wife. But the, the Bible constantly talks about marriage and constantly talks about the, the, the bride and the groom. And so I think it's just such a beautiful picture. A, a healthy marriage is such a beautiful picture for what uh, Jesus has in store for us. And so I love my wife. And so I intentionally don't do things that are going to upset her. Well, I mean, unless I'm mad at her or whatever. No, 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 no. I, I do not do that. I intentionally don't do things that are going to upset her. I don't do things that will make her sad or make her mad, right? Because I love her. And the more I've got to know her through being married and, and knowing her, gosh, almost 13 years now, all that time, now I've gotten even closer to her. So I just realized we've been married like seven years, something like that. We've been together almost 13. I just realized that me putting my clothes in the floor beside the dresser is a problem. I had no idea. If I'm going to wear the same pair of pants the next day, guess what? They're not going in the drawer because they're dirty. I'm not going to put that with the clean clothes. It just goes right here, right beside my nightstand. I just realized a few months ago, apparently, apparently that's a problem. That's something she doesn't really like, and she's 
nicely told me, hey, if you don't mind, and sometimes she'll just pick them up and move them. I'm like, crap, where's my pants? <laughs> and so in the same way with God, the point is our ability to resist sin is directly tied to how close we are to God, plain and simple. Even after I got saved, there were certain sins I was unable to beat. There were certain things that were easy and they just came naturally and there were certain things that just kept coming up and certain things that I just couldn't overcome. And in, in retrospect, looking back, now I, now I know that I was trying to get rid of this sin so I could be close to God, but really I needed to be close to God so he could help me get rid of the sin. What if instead of trying to muster up the willpower to resist the temptation, we tried growing closer to God and let him fight that battle for us? What if instead of only preaching to our students and children that having sex before marriage is wrong, we encourage them to grow as close to God as they possibly can so they can resist the temptation? I'm going to tell you right now, the conversation that I have with my kids and in my, with my son in particular is going to be a lot less about the butt whooping he's going to get if I found out that he's done that. And it's going to be a lot more about, dude, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really tough. You're going to find yourself in situations that are almost impossible to get out of. And your dad wishes that he was close enough to God to not do that. When I have youth students come up to me and they say, I'm battling sexual sin, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't go to the Bible and say, you know, right here it says, um, it says you really shouldn't do that. No, what I do is I say, you need to grow closer to God. Forget about that sin for a second. I don't, I'm not trying to minimize sin here. What I'm just saying is God knows that sin is hard, and he has to help us get through it. And so if a student comes up to me and they're struggling with a sexual sin, I point them to the Bible and say, hey, you need to grow closer to God. You need to get in your word. You need to read the gospel because God's going to save you from that. We can no longer turn a blind eye to fornication and couples living together because we know how hard it is to resist. We confront it head on and wage war against it. Not by calling people out and condemning them, but by revealing to them it is the wrong, that it is wrong and encouraging them that through Christ, he can help them resist it. The second thing I want to cover this morning is, is lust and pornography. Lust is a tough one because it lives in our mind and it, it manifests itself in so many different ways. Lust is really at the root of, of adultery. Lust is at the root of pornography. Lust is kind of at the root of all sexual sin when you really think about it. And it lives up here and it's really hard to get stuff out up here. You guys, you guys following me? In particular, pornography is running rampant in Christians throughout churches across America. It has crept its way not only into the lives of men, but now is starting to take a hold of women and our young women as well. But why? Why is this moving so rapidly? We could easily say technology, right? No longer do you have to hide the magazine, try to stuff it up under a mattress or whatever. No longer do you have to try to get to the central computer in the home. You know, you used to have one computer set in the living room or whatever. No, now it's, now it's on my tablet. It's on my phone. It's wherever I need it to be. I also think it's running rampant in the lives of Christians because we haven't attacked it from the pulpit with the same ferocity that it is spreading. 
That is our goal as, as pastors and ministers of the word. Our goal is to take the things that are affecting this generation, that are affecting, affecting our culture, and change that and flip it around. And I don't think we've spent near enough time attacking this subject. The last reason I think it is spreading and where I want to spend the bulk of my time is that it's just embarrassing. This is such an embarrassing thing for us to discuss. So a lot of times as Christians, we just, we just struggle alone. We're afraid to tell our spouse because what they might think, man, are they going to be mad? Are they going to be upset with me? We're afraid to tell our pastor because we don't want to feel judged. Man, I've been leading a small group for the past two years. I can't go to the pastor and tell him that I'm struggling with pornography. Students, you're afraid to tell your parents because you know you're going to end up getting punished. I mean, there's no doubt about it, and rightfully so. They're going to set boundaries for you, and that's what you need. And then the biggest one of all is I think that we kid ourselves in, into thinking that one day we'll be able to stop. This guy right here. Men and women in this room, if this is something you struggle with, and you, ha you have to stop kidding yourself that you have this under control. For, I, I remember listening to a uh, pastor um, on a podcast preach a sermon about pornography, and at the time I was struggling with it myself, and man, he hit the nail on the head for how I felt about pornography. It was like, when I get a little bit older, I'll, I'll stop, you know? When I, get, when I become an adult, I'll stop. When I get married, surely I'll stop. And he talked about that same cycle he sees where he's, he's pastored the same church for 20 years. And for 20 years, he's seen the same men, the same women come into his office and say, I'm struggling with this. I'm having a hard time with this. But I think I, think I got it this time. I think, I think I'm getting it. He would follow up with them and say, how are, how are you doing on this? I think, I think I got it. I think I got it whipped. I think I got this under control. Maybe for some of you, this is the first time you're feeling conviction about this at all. Like you didn't really even know this was in the Bible. But for many of you, this is something that you constantly feel conviction over and have tried to stop many times and have been unable to. My goal here is to not to make you feel uncomfortable. My goal here is to help you gain freedom from a lustful addiction in your life. I know because I was in the seats, I was in the pews when pornography was mentioned, it was like the whole world just zoned in on me. I'd start to sweat really bad. I'd get like super nervous, like someone's looking at me right now, right? So I know, and that's not my goal this morning. My goal is for you to be able to sit in that chair and for me to talk about this, and you'd be like, praise God, I'm free of it. There is freedom for you in this, and it comes on the back of accountability. You have to have accountability. And I'm not talking about your bro or your best friend, because crap, they're probably struggling with it too. You know, that's a mistake I made was going to the wrong people for a really long time. Go to people who were already struggling with it and be like, hey, man, can you help me? Can you watch me? Can you help? Students, the accountability, you hate to hear this, is going to come from your parents. That's where it's going to come from because they have control over certain technology in your life. They're going to be able to help you um, attack this head on. They're going to be able to help you by having an accountability partner. Adults in the room, find someone that you can trust. Find someone, think of the worst person possible to tell, and that's probably the person you need to tell. 
Honest to God, yeah. For me, it was my wife. I told everyone but my wife for a really long time. And when I told my wife, man, it was like, boom, just clicked. And it was through me growing closer to God and then God saying, you know what? You're going to need help. You're going to need some accountability. You've got to have somebody watching you. And so that's how we attack homosexuality, or not homosexuality, I'm reading too far in my notes. That's how we attack pornography is by having accountability partners, growing closer to God, and then finding those spiritual people in our life that it's uncomfortable to tell and let them help us get through it. Man, I wish I had more time to talk about this stuff. We're going to keep on moving. The last thing I want to look at this morning is homosexuality. Connections Church believes that marriage is between one naturally born man and one naturally born woman. We believe God has exclusively designed it this way, and there can be no deviation from this. That is Connections Church's stance. That is what we believe the Bible stance is on homosexuality. Some churches have started to muddy the waters as it pertains to homosexuality, even to go as far as removing certain scriptures from the Bible to make sure that people feel comfortable coming there. My goal when I'm preparing a message is, how does this message directly pertain to my students? Or in, case, or in, the, in this case, how, how does this message directly pertain to you guys that are in this room right now? The truth is, we live in the South, and we're part of the Bible Belt. So for most of you, me saying that statement isn't anything that you disagree with. Right? I think we can all agree there. For most of you, this is something, crap, you may want to get up and clap your hands. Yeah. I could sit here and I could point out scripture after scripture of showing where homosexuality is wrong, where God has said this isn't, this isn't the design for marriage. This isn't the design for relationships. And if you're in this room and you don't agree with that statement, I'd love to talk to you after service. Not so I can school you or anything like that or just like beat you up with it, but just so I can reveal the truth to you. So I can show you what God's word has to say about that. But since this is the case that most of us would agree that homosexuality is wrong, I want to approach it from a different perspective this morning and just bear with me. Christians are losing the spiritual battle against homosexuality. Wouldn't you agree? Our culture has embraced it more than ever before. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Crap, man. My, my kids were watching Nick Jr. And there it is, all over Nick Jr. I'm like, we can't, we can't even have this anymore. Right? And Christians are enemy number one from the homosexual community. We are enemy number one. And why is this the case? I mean, let's think about that. Let's go through this thought process for a second. Why is this the case? Obviously, we disagree with their lifestyle, right? But a lot of people, and a a lot of people don't want to associate with those that disagree with them. I mean, think about your Facebook friends, stuff like that. We we want to be with like-minded people. We want to be with those we agree with. So, So you could say it's because we disagree with them. However, there are a lot of lifestyles that the church stands against, and yet we have people come to church that have other sexual addictions. We have people that abuse alcohol and other substances, and they still come to church. We have people from all walks of life that the Bible directly speaks against something in their life, and yet they come to churches across America. But why? Because they feel they are missing something greater in their life, and the church welcomes them with open arms and a gospel for them and their life. 
I mean, we have, we have all kinds of different ministries. We have divorce care. We have homeless ministries. We have substance abuse programs. Rock Bottom's here still every Thursday night, right? We have community outreach programs. And hear me out. I feel that we've missed the mark as Christians when it comes to helping those that struggle with homosexuality. Do you see where I'm going with this? To my knowledge, there is not a group of, there, to my knowledge, there is not any group of scripture in the Bible that mentions homosexuality without mentioning other sexual sins along with it. What I'm trying to say is homosexuality isn't the worst one. We like to say, we like to say that. We, start, we start, like to think that, but it's not the worst one. The truth is all sins created equal. All sexual sin is created equal. We see homosexuals as defective. Man, something's wrong with them. That's not how my mind works. Something's messed up. I had a pastor one time that I was under. He was like, dude, I want to put a sign. He said this on a Sunday morning to an older generation Pentecostal church. I was like, dude, you better get out. <laughs> he said, I'm going to put a sign out there. It says, homosexuals welcome. And you could have heard a pin drop in that place. I mean, it got dead quiet. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He said, hear me out. Wouldn't we put a sign out there that says alcoholics welcome? People struggling with the desires of the world, welcome. Come on in. We say, I wish we could return to the good old days when everyone was more Christian. And if you're a fan of history, I would not necessarily say that we were more Christian. We maybe went to church a little bit more. Maybe we were a little more moral or a little more legalistic, but we both know that just because you come to church, it doesn't mean you fully surrendered your life to Christ. I want to share a quick story with you guys. During World War II, um, the Nazis had uh, these things called U-boats, and apparently this is the flashy part of this message. <laughs> so it's, it's about to get real good. <laughs> I promise that wasn't planned. I'm going to share a story with you. Bam. So I'm going to share a story with you guys. During World War II, uh, the Nazis had these things called U-boats, and they were submarines, and they wreaked havoc in the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, if it was a civilian ship, if it was a cargo ship, a, a ship with troops on it, they took it out. They didn't care. If it was not German, it sank. And it just obliterated the Allied forces. It was almost impossible for us to get to the battleground because of these U-boats. And they used this thing called an Enigma machine. They made a movie about this a while back, but they, they had this thing called an Enigma machine. And what it would do is it would take letters from the alphabet, scramble them up with other letters, kind of like, a, you know, those things you do on the back of the cereal box, kind of, in a very simplistic form. It would scramble them up with, every, with other letters, and then it would decipher the code for all the other Germans, but we wouldn't know what was going on. We would see all these jumbled up letters and it would make no sense. But if you had another Enigma machine, you could translate it. And then the trick was it reset every 24 hours. So by the time we would start to figure out what they were saying, it was too late. They had already attacked. They had already sank ships. So the Allied forces put together this, this team of scientists. And there was this one um, scientist and mathematician. His name was Alan Turing. He was, he was uh, a British citizen. And dude was super smart. And they put him on this team and they said, we're trying to create a way to figure out how to crack this Enigma machine. 
We've got to figure it out because if we can't figure this out, there's no way we'll get enough allied troops. Well, there's no way we'll get enough supplies to where we need to be. So they put this group of scientists and mathematicians together, and they worked day and night, man. They worked their butts off trying to get something that could decipher this code. And Alan Turing eventually figured out this machine, and this machine was the very first computer ever built. And he finally figured it out, and this machine could take any code that the Enigma threw out and solve it within a couple minutes. And he single-handedly helped turn the tide of the war. Alan Turing had a secret. He was homosexual. And so shortly after the war, when it was found out, after he became a hero and all that, when it was found out that he was homosexual, he was, homosexual, he was chemically castrated, which led to depression which led to him taking his life. The way he did that was he put cyanide on an apple, took a bite out of it. If you can think of what the Apple logo looks like, that's who that's dedicated to. And so were the, were the good old days really free of homosexuality or were they too scared to come out of the shadows? We know even in scripture, it talks about all the way back through the Old Testament that homosexuality existed, that there was people struggling with this. What if instead of seeing homosexual, homosexuals as defective in a lost cause, we saw them as someone dead in their sin needing to be brought to life by the grace of Christ? What if instead of avoiding them like the plague, we sought out homosexuals? I was listening to a pastor this week. He was talking about intentional living. He was talking about every relationship means something and it has a purpose and he was talking about he goes to the same coffee houses. He goes to the same place to eat lunch. He goes to a gym and, and sees the same person there. He tries to sit in the same section. What if we did that for maybe people we knew that were homosexual? homosexual? What if, ladies, when you went to Ulta, you saw the guy with makeup on, and you're like, I'm going for that guy. That's the guy I'm going to talk to about what I need. I'm going to create a relationship with him. What if we didn't avoid the section that made us uncomfortable in the restaurant because of a certain server? What if we embraced that? And through just conversations, we don't have to lead them to Christ right then and there. All we got to do is be their friend. Imagine if you built a relationship with this person, and then like six months later, they found out you go to church, and they're like, whoa, this is a Christian that actually is investing in me, that's, that wants to have a relationship with me. And then you're able to invite them to church. It's the same thing as everything else. We just look at it so differently. I'm asking us this morning to change our perspective by seeing people not by their sin, but as created sons and daughters of God. And if the worship team wants to go ahead and come up here. Thank you, sir. Like I said, my goal earlier was not to make you feel uncomfortable. It was not to make you leave here and feel just downtrodden and beat up and feel like you don't have hope. My goal here is for you to have freedom this morning. My goal is to highlight these things that have crept our way into our society and into our Christian culture and start to flip that around. And so I didn't really know how I wanted to do this part necessarily, but if everybody would just stand up. What I'm going to do in a few minutes is I'm going to pray and I'm going to open up the altar here. And, and we're just going to have a little bit of time for, for someone that maybe 
a topic that we talked about today just kind of hit home with you. Maybe you've been struggling with homosexuality. You're welcome here. We'll pray with you. We'll help you through that. Maybe pornography is something that you've been trying to escape for years and you're far too embarrassed to talk to anybody about it. The altar is open. God's here to help you change that. Maybe you have conviction now about a relationship that you're currently in that isn't exactly going the way God had planned it to be. The altar is going to be open for you. And I get it. If, if you're uncomfortable coming down here, I think there's a certain amount of obedience of stepping down here, and I'd love to see you step into that. But if you're too uncomfortable, do not miss this time to just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for help. Do not miss an opportunity to maybe speak to somebody after the message. Speak to me, Pastor Joseph, Kaylee, Corey, the list goes on. Speak to one of us so we can help you. So real briefly, what I want to do is I'm just going to pray, and after that, we're going to open up the altar. Maybe some of you come, maybe none. That's okay. Just don't miss this opportunity that God has given you this morning. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have invite us, invited us into the truth of your word so that we can live a better lifestyle. We thank you, God, that you aren't just up in heaven just trying to control us like puppets and, and bend us to your will, but you actually have designed things that end up working out better for us in the long run. That you have the foresight to know that as long as we stay inside the bounds that you have set for us, that we're going to live a more righteous life. God, I pray right now for anybody in this room who has felt conviction over some of the things we've talked about this morning. God, I just pray that you would just lay it heavy on their heart right now, Lord. God, not, not to make them feel bad, but just to give them hope that they can have freedom in you this morning, that they can attack whatever it is head on. And there is a, a group of believers here that want to pray for them. God, just lay that on their heart so heavy, God. Invite them to the altar right now. Lord, we thank you for what, you're, what you've done through this message and what you're, do, what you're going to do through it, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Altar's open, guys.